Welcome back to Us Without Them, everybody. Uh, today we're talking about um, what is definitely one of my favorite songs uh, in the entire movie catalog, uh, Four Word Letter, Part 2. And I think it actually makes sense to start by talking about the title, because that's not something that we've really done <laughs> that much. Yeah. Um, uh, We've been know, a little better this season, but a little uh, bit. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and to be fair to us, I mean, there are some titles that are like totally mystifying. Um, yeah. But since this one, yeah. since the title is like really the first thing that you hear in this song, right? He I wrote let a you ignore it. letter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel like we we have to address it. Um, uh, yeah. So I mean, the. The thing that draws me to this song, or that drew me initially to this song, was the, um, the sort of, I, I sort of saw it as like a uh, an approval of or in praise of religious doubt or uncertainty, in in a yeah. certain way, um, and that, at the time, really resonated with me. Um, it still resonates with me a, a bit, but perhaps in a different way, which I'll talk about later when we get to the, the chorus and stuff. But, um, but the thing that's interesting to me, and I'm sure everybody has picked up on this, that, you know, four word letter is a sort of mixed up version of four letter word, right? Which yeah. is a euphemism for a curse, like a curse word. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, and I think that that's a really important frame for this song that is about religious doubt. Um, because there's some, there is a kind of, uh, suggestion perhaps in the song. I, I, I will venture to say, um, that this way of thinking is perhaps viewed as a curse, right? Mm. Or that you are cursed in some sense if you are a doubter or a pretender or, mm. right? There's this sense in, I think, especially in evangelical Christianity, but lots of versions of Christianity, right? There's this sense that, um, uh, that if your faith is not somehow real, like felt experienced as real, authentic, true in a very kind of concrete way, that something is wrong with you in, in some sense, right? I mean, I yeah. dealt with this, um, a lot, I mean, personally, yes, when I was like a teenager and stuff, um, but also uh, when I worked for a brief time as a youth pastor, which mm. I don't know if I've talked, brought this up this season. I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it in season one. But um, but yeah, when I was in seminary, I was a youth pastor and, uh, you know, I had a very small youth group of like 15 students and uh, but many of them had like grown up in the church, right? And when you grow up in the church, sometimes you come to this place where you're like, it it does feel like a performance, right? It doesn't feel real or authentic in some way. Like a lot of students would like lament that they didn't have a conversion story, right? We had a guy on our staff who was, had been like a former heroin addict who had been clean for 15 years and like had this amazing story of recovery, and students would be like, I don't have a story like that. I'm, and I'd be like, guys, uh, Will would tell you that that's good, that you yes. don't have that story. <laughs> like, you don't need that story. What, 
What are you doing here? Like, don't become yeah. addicted to heroin to have this like story of recovery. <laughs> you know, yeah, that self martyrdom thing is is a right. So there, a, so a there is a slope. Yeah, yeah, there is a I think a strong sense in evangelical culture that like something is off perhaps with your faith if you are not or there's something you know it, it maybe isn't even that um that strong of a like something's wrong with you you know right get out of here it's not it's not even necessarily that but that like something needs to be worked on i mean again growing up in the church like this is what the uh the purpose of like summer camp was right the week long summer camp was to you know you go away to the mountains you experience this uh, this mountaintop high, right? The summer camp high of spirituality. And then you drive back down the mountain, you're all fired up. And then as soon as school starts, you're like, you know, especially if you go to public school, like I did, right. It all just kind of like fades away. But you know, that's the point was to generate some kind of true, authentic, real experience because it, it was the understanding is that like, that's what you need to stay connected to, the tradition. And without that, mm. you're going to sort of fade away in a sense. And so that's how I take the title, right? As framing this, um, uh, this call to the doubters and pretenders to Amanda, right? Uh, to come down to the river to pray uh, as a kind of uh, uh, curse in a sense, right? <laughs> um you know, and, and and maybe not like, and not straightforwardly a curse, right? Because it's not a four-letter word. It's a four-word letter. Um, mm-hmm. And that's different. And so, yeah, so that's that's my take yeah. on, on the title. I'm curious to hear what you all think. Thank you, Joel. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I can hear all of that. And I, and yeah. I think that taking the sort of pun that is the title of this song to heart, that makes sense. Uh, to connect the whole thing to this idea of something that's taboo, right? I mean, that's what four-letter yep. words are. They're yep. cultural They're taboos. Taboo. Right. In a yeah. world with with fewer and fewer taboos all the time, um, and even like like what we would consider like strong language or adult language or whatever is is decreasingly a taboo in more and more yeah. public spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, but in certainly within the sort of you know church setting that. It seems like much of the culture of this album is taking place. Yeah. It's definitely still a taboo yeah. that is going to be explored explicitly by the time we get to Pale Horses. Um, but we'll yes, leave that yes, yes. for another day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but here, I also just want to say, and we can talk about this, the other two things that we need to acknowledge about the title of the song before we get into the substance is one... It's also the title of another song of theirs. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, from from the I Never Said That I Was Brave EP. Yep. So technically this is Forward Letter Part 2, even though I, in liner notes, I, no, yeah, that says Part 2, but there's yeah. different places. Like on Spotify, if you look this song up now, right. Catch Press and Foxes, say, they've yeah. removed the Part 2. Part 2, part two. Right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this, is, this episode is not about the original song on the EP, um, but if you, listener, have not heard that track, you should go listen to it because it's interesting and kind of a standout track on the EP. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's got this long instrumental kind of thing in the middle that is different than anything else. Um, 
it, it's a standout in a similar way to I would say how this song is on this album. Totally, this song sits. I would I don't want to say above, but it 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 sits it, like in a place apart musically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we'll talk about compositionally, but in sure. terms of like the literal tone of yep. it, it, it feels very different. It does. It does. So it, it shares that feeling with the other song. It also actually yeah. just shares some lyrics directly. The other thing is, I think, although I cannot confirm this with any sort of factual data, mm-hmm. that this statement, I wrote a four-word letter, is literally true. And I mm. don't think that any of us know what that letter said. I think that came up. Yeah. Now, Nick, you may know some more than I do. Yeah. I we'll think see. that question came up whenever they, they did this Ask Me Anything on mm-hmm. Reddit a few years ago. So I was like, what were the four words? And I, I don't think the band would answer it. <laughs> so, oh, <man>. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll do some searching on the side while we're, we're starting the actual lyrical conversation in a little yeah. bit. But um, – I, I just like to sit here. It's more exciting. It, yeah, oh, it's more exciting to not know. But I yeah. also like combing through and saying, all right, what sets of four words make sense as a four-word <laughs> yes, letter? Right. Yeah. And my my initial uh, theory, I don't want to even call it that, is if you take the contraction let's and mm-hmm. break it into its two, so let us go down and I, I, that feels somewhat in line with Joel, what you where you were going with the title itself. Like mm-hmm. it's a curse, so that's the b- kind of beginning of the curse, right? Like he he's admonishing whomever, whether it's the doubters, whether it's mm-hmm. the pretenders, or Amanda specifically, and then saying let's go down. So right. it's it's it, I, I don't know that that could be the four words, I guess. But um, although. Now that I say that, uh, yeah, that phrase does not show up in the original, so maybe I'm wrong there. Anyway. Yeah. Um, it's a mystery that probably deserves to stay a mystery. It sure does. But <laughs> in in this song, Forward Letter Part 2, mm-hmm. there is some sort of forensic evidence in the very opening lyrics of the song. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that actually is shared between the two, because in, in the EP track, Forward Letter... It opens with, I wrote a four-word letter. Though I'd lived, I'd never been alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me, let, me just read, let me just read the lyrics to the yeah. game version. I wrote a four-word letter. Though I'd lived, I'd never been alive. You held my hand, but I traveled blind. Thought I'd sold my soul for something better. The rain came down, it wet my eyes. It's not me that you've missed. You heard me when I cried. You've seen, you've loved, the side of me that died. I remember sunshine. So, so this track that they're following up with a sequel for the first time of several times that they will have sequel songs across the course of their career um, has some rain imagery in it, which seems appropriate to bring back around. Very oh, yes. wet, apparently, album. <laughs> um, uh, also, it wet my eyes. Like, rain coming down, wetting my eyes feels right in line with all the eye and face images of A to B Life sort of being revisited on either side mm-hmm. of that album now. Oh, yeah. Um, and 
But the original song, I wrote a foreword letter, though I'd lived, I'd never been alive. You held my hand, but I traveled blind. That much is sort of paraphrased in the new one, which yep. opens, I wrote a foreword letter. And then it expands this idea with postscript in crooked lines. And then in quotes, though I'd lived, I'd never been alive. Mm-hmm. So that line is in the original song, but he makes it crystal clear here with postscript in crooked lines. So there's a PS. So there's a four-word letter. With a PS, yeah. With a PS, which is one, two, three, four, five, six letters, or six words. <laughs> so so we have or, a four-word letter. seven with six... if you count it, Ide as, as two. Oh, there's yeah. two Ides, so maybe even yeah. eight. Yeah, maybe even eight. The postscript is conceivably twice as long as the letter itself. Yes. Though I'd lived, I'd never been alive. Now, being the sort of fellow that Aaron is, uh, <laughs> at least from the evidence we have from all these lyrics, you could suppose that the first four words in this letter could rhyme, perhaps, with the statement, though I'd lived, I'd never been alive. And then you can open up all sorts of imaginative worlds of I, what that uh, might be. <laughs> I love that idea. Dear listeners, if you want to go on a rhyming adventure and see if you can figure out what it is... Uh, Send us send us your thoughts to uswithoutthempod at gmail.com. Yeah. We'd love to. Please. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Please. So this sentiment, though, though I'd lived, I'd never been alive, even if it literally is the, the PS of an actual letter he wrote, Yeah. Um, it also fits right in with some of the other images on this album, right? Even just in the last mm-hmm. song, we had this image of a woman from wine turned to water, then turned back mm-hmm. to wine. There's this kind of back and forth element of life and death here. Mm-hmm. And, or in the bigger picture, you know, talking about being rescued by a sinking mm-hmm. ship, right? That I'd lived, but I'd never been alive. I, there's something inauthentic, unreal about the kind of life that I thought yeah, I had. A contradiction or, or an irony. Yeah. Uh, to it. yeah. Yeah. There's also the, um, you know, the whole idea in, you know, Paul's epistles about, you know, being reborn, being, um, you know, awakened essentially from, uh, from slumber or death or something like that. Um, you know, so in, in other words, like living, uh, uh, a true Christian life or something. Yeah. 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 Or, or to take the, slightly more secular or or now no longer practiced anyway the the allegory of the cave uh Mm -hmm. comes to mind too you know there's people bound and technically living but are they alive are they are they fully experiencing life are are they awoken to the complexities of life or are they just seeing right and they're yeah and i think that uh you know interestingly i mean there are a lot of analogs actually between the apostle paul and greek philosophy uh, and I do think that, yeah, in both in both cases, there's this sense of uh, enlightenment, essentially, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That opening line, 
with all that's loaded into it, hits with such incredible mm-hmm. force, <laughs> just as yes. a sound out yes. of the gate. There's nothing else like this. Uh, on this album, I don't know if there's anything else quite like it in their whole their works, right? Like, I, I don't nothing, think so. Yeah. Nothing with this immediacy, and, and it's a pivot, right? It's Not only yeah. is it immediately on the heels of the previous song, but it's also a departure. Like every, I think that's part of why this song feels like a departure into a new section for mm-hmm. me is in many of the previous songs, we've seen a kind of daisy chaining together, either a piece of feedback that's technically in the key of the previous song, quite yeah. literally transitioning keys in a, in a, in a logical way, or at least thematically, like giving us space to think about the lyrics beforehand and then, and then having similar you know almost mirrored lyrics you know, i'm thinking between like leaf and tie me up on time yeah oh for, for sure example. yeah well so so the interesting thing about the transition on that front thinking yep. about like time to reflect on the lyrics is that the last lyrics in my exit unfair are in arabic and so mm-hmm. i mean if you know arabic you can reflect for yeah if you don't then it, it just creates this sense of sort of disorientation and bewilderment at the end in a really beautiful way that then feels like you're being smacked in the face with a dead fish. <laughs> I wrote a four-word letter! Yeah, so vocally, the tone makes a hard piss yes, right yes, here. Yes. Musically, with what the rest of the band is doing, I want to make a counter case uh, mm. that they have perfectly set us up for the downbeat mm. of this song. Lovely. So, um, in the end of My Exit Unfair, there is this really wonderful uh, tune that happens sort of high up in the guitars. Yep. That ringy mm-hmm. bells. Yes. Right, so <laughs> that comes in. Now... The harmonic implications of that little melody in a song that has been in E minor the entire time, um, which My Exit Unfair is generally in E minor territory, this is a, a C natural, sorry, C natural, B natural, G sharp, A. Now, in the last season, when we talked about the fourth track, mm-hmm. which, if you want to think about it as a weird cyclic narrative maybe the last track mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um we had this strong tendency towards a leading tone resolving to a minor key and in that case in everything was beautiful and nothing hurt it was right. resolving to b minor in in this case at the end of my exit unfair we have the implied chords of a minor and then major then a minor again and then this big e now that e is actually the last sound you hear in my exit unfair oh wow okay which is the key that the song has been in the whole time so that makes sense mm-hmm. except it's been an e minor the whole time and and this tune that we've just got in the guitar lines out a minor is to an E major, which needs to resolve to A minor, right? 
So it sounds like my exit unfair is actually re-centering A minor as a new key by doing this. But then you get another E, which is the tonic of the key that my exit unfair has been in. But now jumping forward, when we land in forward letter part two, that entire song is in A minor. And so that E that ends my exit unfair, because we've just heard a G sharp and a B like a couple seconds ago, psychologically you have this set up and you just have this raw E kind of lingering in the background and Aaron screams, I wrote a forward letter and you get this landing on A minor. Oh, wow. So this surprise little chromatic line at the end of the previous mm. song sets up the anticipation that actually we are modulating into a new key, which as soon as you hit the downbeat in this track, we're now in the new key that the previous track set up for us. So there you go. Despite it feeling different, it's just a recapitulation of the same pattern we've been seeing, like this nice handing off thematically or musically mm -hmm. between songs. Wow, right. that's, that's so cool. But the band is has a, a nice, like, smooth transition. The, the Aaron yeah, is not. Yeah, right, right. No. Another interesting change, once we get right into the song, um, musically, quickly, I'll just make a note that like much of this album, though A is the center of the key, we have a lot of G naturals up to A naturals. We've got that flat seven back in, which is sort of Ketcheris the Fox's signature sound, is the bass moving between that flatted seven back up to the tonic again. Okay. We didn't really see much of that in my exit unfair and so it almost feels like a stylistic return to something we've been set up for and used to this whole album mm -hmm. we took a quick departure and now we're back into that kind of funky flat seven mm -hmm. like yeah hated sounding stuff so yeah, we're back yeah. in that but then we get an interesting change to a line that's also borrowed from the original song do you all have that in front of you the original that no the um after Though I'd Lived, yeah. I'd Never Been mm -hmm. Alive, yep. oh, on, yeah. on, on mm -hmm. part two, mm -hmm. what does it say? Uh, and you know who I am. You held my hem as I traveled blind, listening to the whispering in my ear, soft but getting stronger, telling me the only purpose of my being here is to stay a bit longer, wielding a bicycle chain as the handlebars crashed to the ground, the back wheel detached from the frame, it kept rolling, yeah but aimlessly drifting around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, no, go so ahead, Stephen. I think, I, I think in the original forward letter, he says, you held my hand. Yes, you held my hand. So the, so the change in the line is to, you held my hem, which... Uh, 
implies to me the, the first image that conjures to me is a child mm-hmm. walking beside mm. their mother. Yeah. Or or a, an adult person wearing a dress anyway. Um, yeah. But the height differential. Right. There's also an interesting parallel here to uh, one of the episodes of Jesus's life, right? The hem of okay. his robe, right? So a wo- it's, uh, correct me, if I, help me out here, Stephen. It's a woman who I believe is experiencing something is going on with her menstruation. Is that right? And so she, yeah. um, you know, menstrual blood in uh, ancient Jewish culture, I mean, in a lot of ancient cultures, bodily fluids of any kind are considered, you know, unclean. Um, and especially yeah. for women, menstrual blood was considered, you know, extremely impure, unclean, and so forth. Um, and so for this woman to touch Jesus's, uh, the hem of his robe, right, was uh, culturally would have been seen as um, like a major f- faux pas is putting it too mildly, but a transgression, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, uh, but in doing so she is healed of whatever it is. So now I don't, I think the reason why, like, I'm obviously drawn to this is the use of the word hem, um, Mm -hmm. which you don't really see, uh, used very often. Um, so it seems like a very deliberate choice. Um, and yet. It also the way the pronouns are working here, it doesn't quite seem to to fit or to necessarily have anything to do with that story. Um, so I don't know what what you guys yeah. think. So I mean, in that story, I don't know how I would string this all together exactly. Mm-hmm. But if she's holding on to his hem, um, that implies a kind of a, a faith and a trust in somebody that can yes, heal her, right? right? But then the rest of the sentence is actually before you held my hymn is, and you know who I am. Mm-hmm. You held yeah. my hymn as I traveled blind. Yeah. Right. Right. So he's, he's setting himself up like, okay, though you may have held on to me in this way. And given everything else that he said about this relationship that I presume is still the center right, of the right. conversation, right. uh, he sees himself as having attempted to want her yes. to hold on yes, to his that's hand good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so that she could be yeah, healed, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. Um, as I traveled blind, listening to the whispering in my ear, soft but getting stronger, telling me the only purpose of my being here is to stay a bit longer. So stop there before we get yeah, into the bicycle. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who's doing the whispering? bring in my my counterpoint only yeah. only because that this is getting very complicated if we keep running uh uh away from that so <laughs> we get th- uh, three feminine figures being spoken to later in the song we get amanda mama mm-hmm. and nana Ooh, yeah 
so we've we've already seen some references back to Amanda, mm-hmm. presumably, right? Um, very succinct ones that connect very well with A to B life anyway. Earlier yeah. in the album, so if we pause for a moment with the Jesus thought and and see this as a feminine person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and I, I think there's some. I like the I like the Jesus thought. I I want to keep using that as an interpretive lens. However, let's also not forget that this could be a feminine person. And I think we'll get to some comments in the lyrics later down that implied this song is at least at some level about doubt in faith because of specifically the biographical information we have about Aaron's own strange Mm -hmm. faith journey. This could be a like, I've been in this, you know, um, uh, charismatic uh, what is a charismatic um, tradition? What's the what's the tradition? Uh, I'm I'm trying to exit that now. I'm going home for a moment to see. Are there any answers here in the traditions that I was brought up in before I entered into the charismatic kind of Christian community? And now I, he's trying. He's the blind one, mm-hmm. Aaron. Yeah, grabbing onto someone from his past. It, let's just call it his mom for a sure. moment. Whispering to the listening to the whispering in my ear, soft but getting stronger, telling me the only purpose of my being here is to stay a bit longer. I've always read that line as a dissatisfaction with, I'll just say, a Christian narrative of I can't really tell you why you're here, of you know, do good works, things like that. But I do know that if you leave by your own hand, is the implication. Mm-hmm. That's that's unforgivable. You that you need to at the very least you have to stay here. Yeah, yeah. Just stay a little bit longer, no matter what. And so, I to me that's where the whispers are coming from. Is is something in this perhaps in this community is leaving? He's like, you haven't really given me a compelling yeah. reason why I'm here, why I'm suffering, why these yeah. things are going on, right? And in a sense. I, goes, I guess those whispers, to take it back to the Jesus thing for a second, are those whispers his father telling him, you just got to stay a so, little bit longer? I mean, what's the proximity timeline-wise between the story of the woman <laughs> holding his his hem and, and you know, the Last Supper and, and the right. crucifixion? Um, I don't know. Oh, I would, ahead, yeah. Fair question. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't carry the direct image <clears throat> identifying with Jesus all no. the way through the line. I would yeah, kind yeah. of end it at the hymn yeah. and then it, it morphs into right. Aaron from that so point forward. I, okay. I have, okay. I have another idea about the whispering in the ear. Okay. Um, and yeah. this, I, I, I like that. Yes. Nick uh, being like people around him are telling him that because he's yes. talked about not staying a bit longer. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. That, I, that's why it's always been so crystal clear to me. And, yeah. and granted, I listened to this album for, eight years before I had really heard this song in relation to it. And I still stuck out like yeah, a sore yeah. thumb, like taking one's life is on Aaron's mind. So when I see that line, yeah. it seems like, well, that's not good enough. <laughs> right. So sort of in that vein, actually, like, and, and I think you yep. can, I think my reading and, and your reading, Nick can be, it can be both, right. There can be multiple layers. Yeah, so, so definitely my, I'm looking at this, as uh, perhaps in a more general, like existential 
sense. So yeah. if we fast forward to Brother Sister and the track C minor, there's another whispering in his ear, right? Um, so let me read this verse from C minor. Like water on the dry wood, equal parts misguided and misunderstood. But all the neighborhood watched a fire burn from where they stood. As the smoke said, we're not half as bad as God is good. And there's a whisper in my ear, the voice of loneliness and fear. And I say, devil, disappear. I'm still technically a virgin after 27 years, which never bothered me before. Yeah. So what's maybe 50 more? So, okay. That, so in that case, it's, it's, he's very, very clear about who it is. It's the voice of loneliness and fear, which is really the devil, right? Um, yep. And I think that you can read this line telling me the only purpose of my being here is to stay a little bit longer, to stay a bit longer as a kind of existential absurdity. Right. I think that we, yeah. I, I believe we talked about this on a previous episode, but everything's like blurring together in my mind. But just to recap in case, yeah. uh, cause I, I'm sure it was many episodes ago. Um, in the mid 20th century, there's a, you know, a kind of, uh, brand of philosophy, if you will, called existentialism that is uh, primarily atheistic. So this is different from Kierkegaard's existentialism. Um, the The main, I think, through line in both Kierkegaard and uh, the French atheistic existentialists, right, is the, um, the demand that you uh, make a decision, right, that you choose, that you make meaning essentially, right? That you take some sort of leap into the unknown, right? They, they all sort of have that kind of similarity. Um, but this line that the only reason I'm here is to just be here, right? Is reminiscent of, uh, like in literature, for example, the famous, um, absurdist play waiting for Godot, right? So by Samuel Beckett. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is a play, uh, from the 1950s, 40s or 50s, I believe, uh, where it's just two characters talking to each other, and they are waiting for a third character named Godot, who never arrives, right? And that's the yeah. the conceit of the play, right? Is that they're having these really ab <laughs> sometimes absurd, sometimes deep philosophical conversations, right? Waiting for this other character who never shows up, right? The only purpose of them being there is to just be there longer, right? Until the play ends. Um, yeah. And so there is a kind of a, a hint of existential absurdity here that I think mirrors uh, or parallels very nicely with C minor in the next album, where the voice of loneliness and fear, that is the voice of existential dread, right? Mm -hmm. um, existential mm -hmm. dread is, uh, you know, to these philosophers is primarily about dying alone, right? Living some kind of meaningless, pointless existence where your death, let alone your life, uh, doesn't matter, right? That, that, that there is a kind of terror, right, in that nihilism, right, that I think, you know, in C minor, Aaron is equating with the devil, the voice of the devil, right? Um, that I, I do believe that that is actually a very central theme of me without use uh catalog 
Particularly yes. when you get into brother sister and the question of existence, um, you know, and and what does it mean to exist or not exist, right? Um, yeah, that that is a central existential question. I mean, the term existential comes from the word existence, right? It is about what the meaning of existence is, and the idea that your existence actually precedes your essence. Right. That you living and being and being a contingent thing and, and being in the state of, of becoming, right, is actually what determines what your essence is. It's not the other way around. Right. The, yeah. you know, in Greek philosophy yeah. and, and, you know, other more, uh, quote, traditional forms of philosophy, it, essence precedes existence. Your whatever the core uh, you know, for Plato, it's the forms, right? The uh, the, um, the these perfect uh, versions of all the objects in the world, right? That is the essence of everything in the world that precedes the existence yeah. of the world. Here, the existentialists are saying, no, it's the other way around. There is no essence that precedes mm -hmm. existence. You determine what who you are and what your essence is going to be, um, and. So if we take all of that and put that back into this verse, Aaron is traveling blind, yep. right? Or the narrator is traveling yep. blind. The narrator, the narrator presumably doesn't know who he is, right? The you here knows who he is. He doesn't know. Mm -hmm. He's traveling blind, <laughs> listening to the whispering in his ear that's getting stronger, that's telling him that the only reason is he's here is to be here, period. He doesn't know yeah. why he is here. Right. And I do think that that is, uh, it's a really powerful, powerful uh, uh, idea that I think, you know, sort of echoes back into the, the preceding tracks on the album, right? Where he's drowning, he's sinking in the water, he's, you know, looking for that pearl under the waves, whatever... The case may be he's in the trees, you know, licking the leaves. He's searching, right? This whole record, he's searching for uh, for yeah. his identity in some sense. And I think that this parallels yeah. so nicely, Nick, with what you said, because he clearly, at least in A to B life, thought his identity was in the church somehow, right? Mm -hmm. And he's realizing mm -hmm. now <clears throat> it's not. And he's hearing this whispering and, and maybe that whispering. Yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it fits. It fits very well. Like, yes, the only point in being at the church is to just be there longer. It's meaningless, just like, uh, you know, just like life is sort of at its essence. We don't want it to be. I mean, so the to just to be clear, the French existentialists were not saying life is meaningless. So just give up. Right. They were actually trying right. to argue for some reason to live. I mean, Albert Camus, who is an Algerian, French Algerian philosopher, he thought that the most important philosophical question was, why shouldn't we commit suicide? To him, that was yep. the most important philosophical question, that nothing else really truly mattered except that question. Um, and I think that you see that... Uh, you know, I don't know if Aaron ever read Camus. I would assume that he had, uh, that he has at some point. Um, the sad lit yes, boy. Yes, of that course. He is. Uh, yeah, 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 I'm sure. yeah <laughs> obviously. But, uh, but, but I think that the, the sentiment, right? 
I think um, mm-hmm. is is still like the album seems to be a wash in this uh, in this idea. Yeah. Yes. And I think I think we can put both of those yeah, threads for sure. together since we're waxing philosophical. So we have Nick's thesis that this is like well-meaning people in his community desperate to just see him be mm-hmm. okay, saying yeah. just stay a yeah. bit longer. And Joel's antithesis of no, this is the voice of existential dread, of loneliness and fear, even of the devil. And and I think it actually gives a stronger, more pathetic reading mm. to this. <laughs> that these are like nice church ladies telling him, please just just stay. Like it's gonna be okay. Yeah. And that in all of their well-meaning encouragement he hears the voice of the devil telling him that his life is meaningless and <laughs> yes, empty yeah. yes well and and so just to further weld those ideas together yeah often when those intrusive thoughts are happening part of what reinforces them and makes them just feel god awful when you're in a really depressive state yeah. is thinking all of the quote unquote, like positive, cheery things that you hear from other people and they feel hollow. Yeah. yeah. Or, or all you hear is not even what they intended. You know, let's, let's take the intention of the, the pleasant, but you know, well-intentioned, but you know, kind of flaccid church ladies out of it for a second. Like it doesn't matter what they meant. He's hearing it as that's all it is. Just stay a bit longer. And Joel, I, I, when you brought up C minor, I was so excited because that song cross album feels like a reinforcement of a little bit of mm-hmm. what I'm talking about because of the years yeah. still technically a virgin after 27 years. What's maybe right. 50 more in the grand scheme of the, the universe, you know, a person living 75 to 80 years is, is not very long when no. the universe is billions right. of yeah. years old. So, so a bit longer, 50 years is just a bit in, in mm-hmm. the more existential right. yeah. Uh, perspective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> so all of this then gets wrapped up into this very multifaceted, complex metaphorical yes. image. Which, before we dig into it as it is in this song, I do want to acknowledge that it is a pretty close reference to a Morrissey track called such a little thing makes such a big difference. Hmm. Great, great title. Uh, Screw Morrissey, but he knew how to write a lyric. I'll say that. Um, Stuff it, Morrissey. (laughs) Get him! Wielding a bicycle chain, which I've always loved from like coming from a punk background, wielding a bicycle chain is great. Uh, As the handlebars crashed to the ground, the back wheel detached from the frame. It kept rolling, yeah, but aimlessly drifting around. So, So the wheel is what's aimlessly drifting around rather than the entire bicycle. And, and this is a great early reference to a circle, right? Uh, uh, as we know, circular things are very important to uh, to this band. And mm-hmm. yeah. there's just one circle. It kept rolling, yeah, but aimlessly drifting around. 
Uh, let me just say quickly, Please. because these variants are always so interesting. In the printed lyrics, he doesn't say wielding a bicycle chain. It mm. flows, uh, telling me the only purpose of my being here is to stay a bit longer. So I stole a bicycle chain. <laughs> the handlebars crashed to the ground. Okay, wow. That's a really interesting chain. Because so, I've always heard it as wielding, even before I ever read the lyrics. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So... So then, so I stole a bicycle chain. In his mind, at least when he was typing these lyrics out at some point, that it's not only like an like a metaphorical parallel, yeah, to the sort of pointless, like lingering longer. It's actually a sequential event. Okay, yes. so this voice was telling me just to stay a bit longer. So what did I do? I stole a bicycle chain, mm -hmm. and then look what happened. Like. How are you going to read that? Like you took out the thing that propels this thing right. forward and just watched it completely it's fall like that, apart. It's like yes. that meme of uh, the person riding the bicycle and then they like put a stick in their own <laughs> front wheel and, yeah. and like crash. And, and then blame, blame it on, it on someone else. else. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yep. Yeah, wow. Okay, so I stole a bicycle chain. I, actually, I'm going to use that meme reference. What if he stole the bicycle chain from himself? What if he said, I want off this ride? Yeah. Yeah. Yank. Yeah, right? <laughs> and then it <laughs> falls apart. But is the wheel then our narrator? Huh. Continue. I, I, I've, I've always read the wheel aimlessly drifting around as like having his identity yes. imparted yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. Yes. By the end of this, right as we lead up to the chorus, that I very see that. that very medieval physics perspective of you are imparting energy onto an object that's what makes yeah. it move uh yeah. yeah that's that's happening but existentially here the wheel yeah. is now taking on his identity and continuing on all right well and think about <laughs> the whole big narrative scope of this album this is yep. about a departure yes mm -hmm. from a faith tradition that he had stepped into then he's pulling out the chain he's letting all the pieces fall apart uh of this thing that had been propelling him forward Mm -hmm. And now if he's just this back wheel aimlessly drifting around, where is he going? The rest of the bike is gone now. Yeah, right. Well, and I don't want to take this too far because this is already a long song in a conversation that's been going on a while. But that mixed metaphor of complexity really carries on well to verse one of the next track. I'll just I'll just leave that there. All the transportation as the yeah. uh, coming into town on the bus and all that. Yeah. So yeah, anyway. Yeah. On a bus ride into town, I wondered out loud, why am I going So, <clears throat> why don't we read the chorus? Yeah. Oh doubters, let's go down. Let's go down. Won't you come on down? Oh doubters. Let's go down, down to the river to pray. And then it quotes, But I'm so small I can barely see it. How can this great love be inside of me? Look at your eyes, they're small in size. But they see enormous things. I think I, I think I, but I'm so small I can barely be seen. Yes. I, I, to me, I always hear it as I can barely see. Yes. But it's kind of a little bit softer. It's kind of the same extended vowel mm -hmm. sound. It is printed as I 
can barely be seen. Yeah, and and the reference that it's it the direct line from you guessed it, folks, a Rumi mm. poem. Uh, this great love inside me is I am so small I can barely be seen. How can this great love be inside of me? Look at your eyes; they're small, but they see enormous things. Like it, it just is. That yeah, half yeah. of the chorus yeah, yeah. is. Yeah. He just song. added the words in size because it, it rhymes mm-hmm. with eyes and yes. it sounds yeah. better there. Yes. More musical. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Man, what a what a great quote. Um, well, and at least the way it's notated as I see it, he's not quoting the whole Rumi quote. So he's not he's not acknowledging that this is a quote from something. Uh, someone is making the statement, but I'm so small I can barely be seen. How can this great love be inside of me? And then the continuation is look at your eyes. Like someone yeah. is responding to that. Look at your eyes. They're small. Yeah. Size. So the, yeah, this is, um, <laughs> this is such a complicated <laughs> chorus, I think, uh, just in terms, yes. I mean, it's so simple in terms of, of the lyrics. I mean, you know, we, how often on this album have we had a chorus made up of like repeated lines that are three, you know, <laughs> three word sentences let's go down let's go down i mean doesn't happen right um yeah and yet the sort of the juxtaposition of the doubters what the doubters are doing and then this uh this like almost call and response i guess you could see it as right this objection right but i'm so small and then someone responding right okay so um, the, <laughs> the doubt, I mean, I mentioned at the beginning, um, this idea of doubt and, uh, there being some, I think, cultural thing points to make, um, about doubt and evangelicalism. Um, I think that mm, probably beginning around the time that this album came out, you have, uh, you know, uh, I think a movement within evangelical Christianity, um, you have a few different movements that are going on, right? So you, in the, in the 90s, you had something called the emergent church movement, um, which has sort of okay. died out now a bit. Um, but it was uh, a church movement that was really rooted in, um, it, well, I'll, I'll just say it was not entirely new because because in the 1970s and, and really throughout the history of American Christianity, you have these moments in time where you, where these groups of uh, large groups of Christians, denominations, whatever, sort of emerge and say, we're going to do something. We're going to rock the boat. We're going to do something different. Um, and whether or not they're actually doing something different is is always the question. So in the 1970s, it was Calvary Chapel um, and uh, Chuck Smith in Orange County, California saying, you know, oh, come to church in a Hawaiian shirt and shorts and barefoot and like, doesn't matter what you wear. And we're going to have like folk music and, and rock music worship. And it's going to be great. Um, You know, while at the same time he was preaching like extremely conservative fundamentalist (laughs) theology. Right. Mm. So, the emergent church is different than that, but I think like kind of carries on the tradition. My point is that like in the emergent church movement, unlike previous movements like Calvary Chapel, you do get this uh, insertion of like, it's okay to question. It's okay to doubt. Right. 
Um, mm. the, it's it takes on a more I think postmodern character in in a way. Um, now you do have people like Mark Driscoll who uh, you know again not to throw around all these names that if you're not familiar with American Christianity especially American evangelicalism and you're listening to this you might be like who the heck are all these people? But um, Mark Driscoll yeah. was a, a pastor uh, of a church called Mars Hill in Seattle um, in that started in the late 90s, went all the way to about 2013 or 14 or so before, um, you know, it was more or less forcibly disbanded because of his uh, antics, uh, shall we say, um, and being sort of like an aggressive, um, bad, uh, you know, not a very good person. Um <laughs> There's a whole podcast about it if you are are interested. Uh, but all this to say, like you know, there, he was part of the emergent church movement, um, and and then kind of broke away from it and started doing his own thing. And what the emergent church actually became by the mid two thousands, by around the time that this was happening, uh, that this album came out, excuse me, um, was this sort of postmodern. It's okay to doubt it's okay to have questions. It's okay to like rest in your uncertainty, just feel the love of Jesus. Um, you know, Jesus is about, uh, you know, um, rescuing people or, or pulling people out of their, uh, their misery, but allowing them to, um, to have doubts and to question and to, uh, you know, be in this place. And so I hear a lot yeah. of, emergent churchness in this. And certainly Shane Claiborne, right. Was, um, I don't know if he was like officially part of like the emergent church movement, but definitely adjacent, right. Certainly a figure who could be placed alongside, uh, a Doug Paget, uh, or Brian McLaren, or, you know, these are emergent church figures, Tony Jones, um, Phyllis Tickle, like all, all these people who were writing books and, and pushing this idea, Shane Claiborne, I think, fits very nicely alongside them, right? So, yeah, go and, ahead. And while we're name dropping a bunch of people from that time, Tony, yes, Campolo, Tony Campolo also yes, comes totally. to mind, mm -hmm. who lives in yep, Philadelphia. Yep, yep. Um, mm -hmm. So he would have been close to home as well as Shane Claiborne, who literally lived with Aaron during the time he was writing yes. these songs. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, yeah, so you, so you have this, uh, admonishment to, to doubt, right? To, to doubt, but you're still coming down to the river to pray. So this image of the river is a kind of, uh, you know, a classic image in, um, I mean, not only the New Testament, uh, you know, there's a number of, of river images in the New Testament that we can talk yeah. about, but, uh, but also in, um, sort of Americana folk religion and also conservative movements of, uh, within Christianity of going and mm -hmm. being baptized in one of the American rivers, like Jesus was baptized in the Jordan river. Um, so, you know, when, before Jesus begins his ministry, after he, uh, you know, defeats Satan in the desert, 
it's it's actually the other way around, significantly so. Maybe for this song, maybe not. But yeah, after after Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit de- descends on him, and then the Holy Spirit drives yes, him out yes, into the wilderness. Yes, thank you. Yes. No, that is super important. Super, super important that it be that way for sure. Yeah, because yeah, um, because that w- those were also moments, right? The temptation of Jesus in the desert are moments where you see Jesus not doubting, right? Jesus is very, very uh, firm with Resolute, with uh, yeah. Satan. Every time Satan uh, offers him something, Jesus comes right back with a verse, right? So, you know, the first temptation is, uh, you know, turn, if you're so hungry, turn these stones into bread, right? Uh, and, and feed yourself. And Jesus says, you know, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he quotes scripture back. Uh, you know, and, and with each temptation, he does this, um, but he's, he doesn't ever doubt, right? There's never a moment in that particular episode. I, I think Jesus yeah. does doubt mm. later. Um, you know, he has questions. He's concerned when he's about to be arrested and, and then crucified, right? Where he says, if this, if this cup can pass from me, you know, let it pass. <laughs> It's so funny that that's the line that comes to mind because I quite literally just watched an episode of the show Babylon uh-huh. five. Uh, I don't know if either of you ever watched that back sure. in the nineties, but um, uh, there's a lovely passage where a priest is, is on the space station. I won't go into what the show is about other than to say there's lots of people and aliens uh, coming back and forth on a space station. And uh, there's a priest who comes and he, he multiple times in the episode brings up the, I wonder if I would be brave enough to stay, even though I would have the chance to go like Christ did sitting in the Mm. garden the night before the crucifixion. Uh, Mm. I won't spoil how the episode turns (laughs) out, but that, that part made me just break down crying because it was a very lovely reminder of this fascinating story. Uh, Is that the last temptation? Technically. Oh man. If we're getting into like film history, yeah. no, there is another yeah. temptation. If we're talking about the, the Scorsese yeah. film, right? Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah we Jesus don't need to actually get down from the cross and just stop yeah. being crucified. Right, right, right. Whole other yeah. story. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> All I think of is Peter Gabriel doing the soundtrack, which is fantastic. But point being, uh, just to, to wrap up what I was saying, is what a what an interesting moment for for this to conjure up, right? And so, so can can I hop in with my my Christian noob sure. question? Yeah, um, I'm ready for it. <laughs> yeah. So, so in most traditions. Right. If you have a child, it's it's baptized. Right. Like, like being born into the church, you'd be baptized. So that's fitting very well with the temptation coming after baptism, because a baby doesn't know what's going yeah. on. But as it grows, it, it faces temptation. Well, yeah. And so you mm-hmm. must go back to the church to to enter the community at large to remain resolute in your faith. Right. But often when I think of this hymn being sung that this is a uh-huh. reference to, 
that, I mean, we all know the scene and Steven, I'd be surprised if you didn't have music queued up. Um, the scene in Oh Brother Where Art. Yeah. That's adults going to be baptized either again or for the first time Not a, ever yeah, since we washed yeah. away. So, um, yeah. Right. So infant baptism is typically practiced by Catholics, uh, Episcopalians, mm -hmm. like more liturgical traditions. Yep. During the Reformation, this was a huge question um, of whether or not. So, so what would happen in like the Lutheran and Catholic traditions and what still happens today is you're baptized mm -hmm. as an infant. And then when you are a you know, a preteen, essentially, you go through what's called confirmation, um, where yep. you are confirming your baptism um, and confirming that you are indeed uh, a Christian. OK, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so when Calvinism came on the scene in the mid 16th century, mm -hmm. things changed, right? They decided uh, basically to, to just to keep it short here that um, that it didn't make any sense yeah. for an infant to be baptized. The reason the, that Catholics baptized infants was because they didn't want if a baby died, they didn't want it to go to hell purgatory. yeah, or purgatory. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, essentially Protestants came up with this um, they call age of age of responsibility or, or something like that. Like where if you die yeah. before a certain age, it's like seven or eight years old or something like that. You're not going to be held responsible because you don't have the cognitive capacity to understand the choice, right. Of choosing right. The, the free gift of grace that God has given to you. Right. Once, um, once salvation becomes a matter of choice, you have to be able to choose, Right. Once it becomes yeah. not a matter of, of works, um, you know, for, for the Protestants, you, you have to be able to, um, uh, to, to make that informed decision, I guess, right, um, to yeah. fully understand wow. the weight of it. So uh, in most Protestant traditions, uh, there is no infant baptism. There may be a dedication, a child dedication to the church where the church, uh, you know, the child's like presented to the congregation. The congregation promises essentially to uh, be part of the child's life and, and you know, help essentially help raise the child right in the tradition. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but yeah, adults are the ones who are baptized. Now, a, a lot of Protestant traditions would say that baptism is a symbolic gesture uh, intended to deepen one's commitment to Christ, but not something that is necessary for salvation, right? So the Baptists, obviously, um, you know, still hold that you need to be baptized in order to uh, be saved and that just praying the yeah. prayer, accepting Christ is not enough. Um which, interestingly, is sort of similar to where the Catholics are on this, right? You, the right. baptism is what uh, initiates you into God's grace, right? That's that's what begins the process of the transformed uh, soul, right? Where you are then able to merit, you know, as you grow up and are living a good 
lay person's life and going to confession yeah. and taking communion and so forth, you're meriting more and more grace into your soul. But it begins with that initial baptism, right? Um, oh, man. You're saying transforming for some reason. When we do our Sufjan Stevens <laughs> podcast, we'll uh, uh, trans- the transfiguration uh, from Seven Swans. Yeah, so... That, where, that line of yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so the so adult baptism here does make sense. Um, yeah, in this yeah. context. Well, yeah, and to to draw an an already complex, tangled <laughs> bit of long-standing church debate uh, out just a moment further. Um, we should bring in. <clears throat> That Anabaptist girl he always used to go on yep. about. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Because in the background of whatever other questioning and whatever other life changes are going on for Aaron, he is, at this point in his life, as I understand it, especially from Paul Matthew Harrison's uh, book, All the Clever Words on Pages, Aaron is, is deeply uh, interested in this American Anabaptist group, the Bruderhof, which we've mm-hmm. not revisited much since mm-hmm. the first track of this album yeah. um, and and that whole business of, of the Anabaptists was that Anna just means again in Greek so these are people that were baptized as infants a, a group from the Reformation who then decided that that was not sufficient they needed to be baptized a second time as yeah. adults because now yeah they were rebaptized, showing their commitment to the Lord so now in the context of this song and the song that is being referenced directly we have a group of adults going down to a river to pray yeah. um, presumably going to the river for purposes of baptism as well as prayer and we should just acknowledge that this is a this is a song that has uh, deep and mysterious roots in American Christianity mm-hmm. we don't actually know the origin although it came into the public imagination full force in 2000 on the soundtrack to Oh Brother mm-hmm. Where Art Thou, yeah. um, which obviously would have been in the general public imagination when Catch for Us the Foxes yep. came out. And th- that yeah. immediately, what a what a strange, shocking reference to hear for all the subtle, uncredited references that happen throughout all these songs. Yeah. <laughs> this is the only one that's really right on the nose yes. in the public consciousness in 2004. And so for Aaron to just be shouting the words, Oh, doubters, let's go down to the river to pray and to hear in your head this sweet, angelic voice of Alison Krauss Mm -hmm. singing the same words. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. Except I wanted to talk very briefly anyway about this change because... Joel, this is going back to your point of kind of the song in, in some ways being a curse. Mm. In the original, well, I know Alison Krauss's version is not the original, but just mm-hmm. we'll call it there. We'll call it that. Right. It's O sisters, O brothers, O fathers, O mothers, O sinners. The only kind of negative. Yeah. I wouldn't even say negative because that in the statement. O sinners is the final O stanza. Mm-hmm, right. And, and mm-hmm. so in a sense, that's more saying all of us, we yeah. are all sinners yes. until we yes. go. Right. And, exactly. and be, yeah. yeah. So, but in this, it's not 
It's not daughters, fathers, mother, et cetera. It's doubters. It's pretenders. Right. It, it, it's only these people who, again, back to the question of choice, the tone of these phrasings feels very much more like you chose to be inadequate in your faith. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, I think that confirms yeah. uh, what Joel was saying from the beginning, yes. that doubt is a central issue in this song. I also think it is it it will pay off when we get to the second half of this song and the guest vocal appearance to look at some other things mm-hmm. that were in the water for me without you specifically, but for music and faith and all that at the time. Definitely. So so just pin that here. We're going to come back around to why talking about doubters and pretenders at the same time that it is showing a kind of like lack of faith may actually be an attempt to communicate something about a truly authentic faith. Yes. At the same oh, a hundred percent. Right. And, and so, and then in the, this, you know, the, the part of the course we have not even gotten to yet, right. The Touched, roomy oh reference. <laughs> um, it's an yeah. interesting juxtaposition, right? So you have the doubters who are going to the river, right. To pray, to, to, uh, I guess perhaps be baptized, right. To affirm mm-hmm. their faith. Right, which is yes. seems like uh, a kind of a, a paradox or an oxymoron or something like that. Like, how can you affirm your faith in baptism if you are a doubter? Right, on the surface, right, that's what again to, to make the cultural contextual point. Right, that's I think um, what uh, a lot of more emergent church or quote unquote postmodern uh, evangelical Christians were were sort of they're pushing against the idea that that is necessarily a contradiction in terms, right? Yes. That yeah. you can actually be a person of great faith and still be a doubter, right? Mm-hmm. That faith actually doesn't require any kind of absolute certainty, right? Yes. Um, so, and then you have the roomy bit, right? Which is in a sense, an argument for, uh, for faith, right? It's an argument for, um, not certainty, but uh, but kind of a, a solve for doubt in a way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the, the quoted bit, but I'm so small I can barely be seen, or mm-hmm. how we alternatively heard it as well. How can this great love be inside of me? That's that's the doubter right. making this statement, yes. right? Yes. Right. And then someone is saying, look at your eyes. Though they are small, they can see so much more than the size of the thing that they are, it, which... What a lovely image, yes. right? What 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 a lovely point, right? Yeah. I would be remiss not to just mention this mm-hmm. because I think it's another interesting parallel image and, and an unusual cultural touchstone for Me Without You's lyrics that this song that's being referenced in the first half of the chorus anyway, um, though it's an, of anonymous authorship, we don't know where it came from, the earliest publications of this Down to the River to Pray were associated with African-American spirituals in the late 19th century. Mm. Now it was probably being sung in black and white churches both, but but it definitely was 
sung among black churches in the 19th century in the years in the immediate aftermath of slavery in the U.S. Yeah. And so because it's, it's part of that tradition of songs that take biblical imagery and I think doubly mean them with total sincerity in reference to the Bible, but also use them as a kind of code for literal, physical escape from yeah. an oppressive position. Going down to the river is as much about baptism as it is about an escape route. Mm-hmm. Would everyone load into that with the escape that's going on in this album? Uh, yeah, I, I promise not to take it to the dark place uh, right. <laughs> with that one. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should wow. we get to the next verse? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but wow, but Stephen, we haven't talked about the music yet. Well, the oh, chorus, yes, that's we true. Should. Yeah, we should. The chord progression. Okay. I want to hear okay. about that. Yes. So this song is the leanest on chords of anything on this album. Mm. There's a way to read this song as being a one chord song straight through. Wow. Um, it's just A minor the whole time. Um, however. <laughs> however... This moment uh, in the chorus is the one place where you can read it as transitioning to another chord, and it's really a striking moment that it happens. So here we're starting in A minor, but because we're in a natural minor, which doesn't have that E major chord going back to A, the five chord that's available, because we've reintroduced our flat seven G natural funky bass line, now, to build an E chord using the materials that they've made available to themselves, you go from A minor to an E minor okay. and back to A minor. Mm. Okay. So it's kind of like a dominant chord, but it doesn't have that, that like yearning, yeah, yeah, pulling yeah. upward feel. It's a softer sound. But what it does structurally in this song, one, it gives a kind of a, an alternate pull that the music feels like it moves from somewhere to somewhere else, then it can go back again. Mm -hmm. So it functions that way in the song. But in this album, there just haven't been a lot of five chords at all because mm. they have judiciously avoided the leading tone at almost all times. And so now we get this really satisfying just leaning in to the full implications of the musical language of Catch Fresh the Foxes, which is that if you want to go from home base to the alternate pole, you just get this kind of sad sounding, slightly distant movement that isn't quite the same yeah. as the confidence of. Right? There's something that's all. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and I it think does. that there's. Um, for me, what that does, that lack of confidence, it makes it, that transition, that second chord makes it feel almost dreamlike. Yes. Um, yeah. It does. When he, you know, oh, doubters, let's go down. And then it goes up to that chord. Let's go down. Which yeah. You feel like you are. And then when, <laughs> when he gets, when he gets to the, but I'm so small, I can barely be seen part. And you mm -hmm. have that uh, guitar riff that comes in. Yep. It suddenly yes. feel. I mean, I feel like we're in the vortex again for me to be yes. life, right? Yeah. You're spinning, you're spiraling, yep. you're like in a whirlpool in the river yes. or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yep. That, that minor five chord, no matter what the context, whether you're starting in a major or a minor key, 
has this feeling for me of the bottom dropping out. Yeah. That there's something mm-hmm. sort of like that has opened up into this space you cannot anticipate mm-hmm. however many times yeah. you've heard it. And so to have that happen here. Yeah. And then you get this like swirling melody on top. kind of spinning thing happening up there yeah i I would say the vortex that we hear in a to b life there's a there's almost some dread is not quite the right word but it it doesn't necessarily feel comfortable and i'm not saying this feels comfortable but it feels um more ambiguous perhaps like like it Mm. doesn't feel necessarily negative or positive that you are descending into the vortex it just kind of is what's happening. There's almost a I'm resigned to my fate kind of feeling. Despite yeah. the weird tension that we talked about earlier in the song, this this sensation of the floor falling out from yeah. from under mm-hmm. you is kind of like, oh well. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and think about where it's happening in the song, right? He's just said, let's go down. And then on the repetition of the phrase, let's go down, is where that shift yeah. happens. And so now we've already had imagery of him going down into the water several times on this album, right? Yes. And and ascending mm-hmm. too. We we Yep. Yeah, and so now even though literally the the notes are moving from they're going up. It, you can almost sense like this simultaneously he's going down to the water while the water is rising around yeah. him. Wow. Yeah. And so the music is giving the motion of this call to come down to the river to pray. Verse two. Verse two. <laughs> Verse two. Uh, I'll read it. Wearing black canvas slippers and our frog on a lily pad pose, we sewed buttons and zippers to Chinese pink silk and olive night clothes. If you can someday stop by, somehow we'll show you the pictures and fix you some tea. See, my dad's getting a bit older now and just unimaginably lonely. That line always uh, hits me very hard for some reason. Same. Even though, Same, like, yeah. my my own father is not a lonely person. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's just there's something about that. Uh, I mean, we, we can talk about it when we when we get there. But um, so yeah. what is going on with this imagery? And just it's been a while, I think, um, on this season since we have mentioned, I mean, every once in a while we'll mention the the concept of metaphysical conceit, which we introduced mm-hmm. last um, uh, last season. But this is also another, I think, good example where, um, you know, Aaron is painting this image and not really saying or telling us or giving us much of a clue as to what this is supposed to be 
um, an image of or a metaphor for yeah. or, you know, um, so yeah, so it's really interesting. Uh, but this is a very complex, strange uh, image that's, that's, it's very hard to make sense of. It is. It is. <laughs> it, I think we've, we've had some success parsing, you know, bottlenecks and rubber rings and, and throwing chipped and dirty plates back into cupboards just by like what's physically being described yes, here. Right. Right. So wearing black canvas slippers. Okay. I'm imagining Tom's shoes now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And our image. frog on a lily pad pose, which, oh man, I want to go into what that could metaphorically represent, but that's, I mean, we all know what that's representing. Like your knees are kind of coming up towards your shoulders, yeah. mm-hmm. I guess you would yeah. say. We sewed buttons and zippers to Chinese pink silk and olive night clothes. Now that to me draws back to the tailor that we talked about. Oh yeah. In the previous mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. you can someday stop by somehow, we'll show you the pictures, pictures of what, who knows, but you're pulling out a photo album per se, mm-hmm. or, you know, framed pictures anyway, and fix you some tea. So a visit is being done. Let's have a nice, a nice visit. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. See, my dad's getting a bit older now and just unimaginably lonely. And then paired with where the song goes and who he's talking to in a, in a future chorus. Oh, my gosh. What is going on here? Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. I, I don't know what's going on here. But, but this image, because he's so intentional about describing to the finest detail... Yeah. All he was wearing <laughs> or uh, or whatever. Like, he's very specific about the image here. One, it seems likely that this is a literal memory. Otherwise, why make up this level of detail with the color and, and the fabric and all this sort of mm-hmm. stuff? Mm-hmm. But also, to me, this has always sounded like a way of describing luxury mm. in a way that is both, like, intimately familiar with the stuff that he's describing, but also it's an implicit critique of, of the kind of luxury he's describing. Mm. And this is going to come back over the long haul. Like there are going to be more images like this in future albums. So, Oh yeah. Well, well, I just, I want to acknowledge that right here, it seems like the beginning of something like that at the very least, whatever else is doing in this song, it's a theme that Aaron is concerned with exquisitely describing the luxury of his own life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so let's let's use the previous song, the Taylor reference, to kind of help parse this. Because I, I agree with you that the implicit critique of that kind of luxury seems mm-hmm. important here because the Taylor in the previous song was doing something very charitable and taking your torn mm-hmm. shirt and giving the, this person, this woman, a place to sleep while they're fixing this thing that in, in our previous conversation we talked about is really something to hang a lot of your personality on. If you don't own many things, maybe this is her only shirt. Yeah. And now, but then she gets to come down by the shop mirror where you see yourself whole and it makes you shiver. Here... You're seeing yourself in all of these things, all of these trappings, buttons and zippers on Chinese pink silk with olive night clothes. You have night clothes and you have pink silk. Yeah. Silk is a, a quite luxurious item, even mm-hmm. by today's standards. Yeah. 
and there's a hollowness to it, despite all of the words. Like, this is a jam-packed frog on a lily pad pose. That's a one, two, three, four, five-word <laughs> hyphenated phrase, right? Like, that's yeah. a jam-packed line. That's a jam-packed little verse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet it feels much more hollow. Like, it, not that it's devoid of actual substance in terms of a poetic sense, but hollow. In, he's trying to imply someone that doesn't have as much substance behind them as the person who's seeing themselves whole with this newly tailored shirt in the previous yeah. song. It was actually two two what, what songs ago. Post it was Paper Hanger. Yes, yes. yes I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yes, yes. Just just so we don't get you know yes. all the tweets and calls about. Oh my gosh! So much hate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Someone's um, going on the Reddit saying, "Is this podcast really worth it?" <laughs> Uh, the answer is no it's not no it's not the um <laughs> the uh the black canvas slippers yeah. are, are not necessarily luxurious right mm -hmm. i mean that's a canvas is not an yeah. expensive material no um, but it's a wearing slippers might be seen as such yeah, i don't right? know yeah that's the whole thing but, but. but he ha he so specifically renders this hyphenated phrase frog in a lily pad pose yeah. Yeah. to give a very specific image which is an odd image to be sewing right i mean literally like the word sartorial which is this 64 dollar word for like clothing is directly tied to a muscle in the body the sartorius which was named because tailors people whose business it was to to make clothes would fold one foot over the knee on the opposite leg and the muscle that is required to do that is the sartorius. And so it's the tailor's muscle is what it means. Oh There's like a specific physical posture that is in the Latin terminology for the muscles of our body directly tied to sewing clothes. Mm. And it is not at all a frog on a lily pad pose that is being yeah. described here. So there's something else, like there's some reason why he's in this awkward, weird position to be sewing. And you can guess whatever it might be. I don't know. Well, when I when I picture people, okay, so I, I restrained myself for a moment, but the frog on a lily pad pose is a pose that many people, not in in the the global West, yeah, take daily. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's it's a it's a much more natural position for uh, defecation, for example. Um, but there's also, you know, a joking quote, uh, a joking stance that uh, people of Slavic cultures do, the Slav squat. It's like it's a, it's a pose. Like people are just chilling out, sitting like that. But it conjures to my mind a person huddled somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like like they're mm -hmm. sitting on a corner just kind of huddled up maybe, but they're in a position where they can get up and go much quicker than if they were actually sitting. Hmm. you know, cross leg, for example. Yeah. I don't know what that does for us here in this narrative, but uh, the, I don't either the get up and go. <laughs> it's also worth noting that it is our frog in a lily pad. Pose. Yes. There are multiple mm -hmm. people invoked here. Yes. And we sewed buttons and zippers to Chinese pink silk. Now the idea of sewing a zipper to something made of silk sounds really funny to me. It's like that's, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that's odd. I can imagine buttons to hold it together mm -hmm. sort of gently and olive night clothes, you know, the night clothes I have always pictured in this lyric is, is being silk also because I just heard that word mm -hmm. and I can picture like an olive colored silk. I don't know if that's actually what's implied and what's it matter. But um, 
the buttons make sense. The zippers now it feels almost like we're back into like punk land yeah. and wielding a bicycle <laughs> yeah, chain. Yeah, yeah. It's like this arbitrary zipper attached to a garment that isn't actually doing right, anything. Right. <laughs> like your leather jacket with extra zippers to pockets that go nowhere. Yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah. So and, and who knows? I mean, maybe that's being invoked here. Between the color black, which is obviously associated with like scene attire when people mm-hmm. are going to shows, um, as contrasted with pink and olive, which are very different than black in the sort yes. of implications of, of the colors and what they mean for somebody who's wearing them. So sewing zippers, it's it's almost like a it shows like a, a, a misfit. Right. It's like, okay, the kind of person I am is the one who wears black canvas in this potentially rude or humorous posture. And and I'm we or we, I guess we are attempting in that condition uh, to to sew something onto this finery. But we're sewing not just buttons, but also zippers, which have no place on silk night clothes. Right. Right. And so it's like it shows this this misfit between who they are and and the task they're trying to accomplish, which maybe you could then extend out into not feeling like they belong in in this church setting. If you want to make it make sense. Okay. I I don't hate that. But I'll also just leave this here. And and Joel, unless you have something to respond to what I'm about to say or anything Stephen said, um, there's also something to be said about the absurdism that we've been talking about today and just like letting those images float in our mind and let them inform where we go with the rest of the song without this particular verse needing to make that much sense on its own i think the second half does have some more concrete connections especially again with the reference to mama and nana Mm -hmm. Mm. i think of a grandma a grandmother offering you some tea or, or you offering your grandma some tea if she comes to visit you. Uh, yeah. but And maybe Nana's visiting because dad's getting getting long in the tooth and he's lonely. Like yeah. he misses people from his past too. Can I, can I insert a, a brief personal sure. story here Please. about the second half of this verse? So this album came out in 2004. I graduated from high school in 2004 uh i went to community college for a couple years and then went on elsewhere um i don't remember exactly what year this would have been but it would have been sometime between 2004 and 2006 i was trying to figure out what to do next where to go to school Uh, one of the colleges that i looked at was a, a place called eastern university which is in philadelphia and Back to some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier, Joel, I, I, the reason Tony Campolo came to mind is because he was teaching at Eastern and I had heard him give a talk or read a book or something. And it was compelling enough that I thought, oh, what's the place this guy teaches? I'll check it out. And I wasn't necessarily thinking about me without you and all that connection. Just, oh, there's this school in Philadelphia. But at the time, I don't know if anyone else listening remembers this, but Aaron was very frequently keeping up a blog on Me Without You's mm-hmm. website during this period, sharing all sorts of interesting stories about his life. And at least for a while, his personal email address was just attached to that. And there, you could just, you could just click on it and send him a note if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. So I, I emailed Aaron several times um, in the early years of the band, and he always responded to me. 
and fairly graciously and, and about a variety of different things. But one of the times I emailed him, it was about going to visit this school there in Philadelphia because I knew that the band was from there or whatever. And, and I, I basically said, Hey, I'm coming to visit the school. I know you all live there. Like is, I don't remember what even my question was, but it had something to do with basically what I do while I'm in town or something like that. Cause I didn't know anybody else from that city. And Aaron basically wrote back and said, Oh, well, depending on the date you're able to come, like we may be gone on tour or something, but you can just come stay at my house if you want to just hang out with my parents. <laughs> wow. So that's as close as I can get to like the actual invitation that's right here right. was oh. literally extended to me by Aaron Weiss. Uh, wow. If you could someday stop by wow. somehow, we'll show you the pictures and fix you some tea. See, my dad's getting a bit older now and just unimaginably so... lonely. Literally, that's what he told me. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that story's so helpful, though, yeah. honestly, like, because it, well, it, it shows you a little bit of, of the authenticity of the man writing these yeah. lyrics and, and, mm -hmm. yeah. and shows you, like, it doesn't really matter who's being invited, because he probably would have extended yeah. that invi invitation to anyone who asked, at least at yes. the time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. That's lovely. So, I mean... Th this line has always felt very personal to me for that reason that like he was just happy for anyone to come like talk to his dad like man he he'd love to <laughs> love to meet you like yeah yeah should we go on to the next chorus yeah so I had a quick thing on the change from doubter to pretender. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, so so doubters are are. It's interesting they're the first people or the first individual uh, that that he's referencing because they're yeah. seen as kind of unfit by by the church community writ large. But pretenders, those I. It's interesting that he goes there next because at least in some of my interpretation of, of where this album is, is leading us is those pretenders are the very people that he is wanting to get away from in, in, yeah. in the divorcing himself from at least this church community. Right. So there's a, there's almost, despite the kind of anger in his, in his, you know, expression of this, I, anger might not be the, the aggression maybe is a better word. Uh, there's hope to this. Like mm, yeah. you come down too. like, let, let's go actually pray. Now you people with, you, you know, with your false idols, your fa not false idols, but your false uh, perceptions of yourself. Yeah. Like you aren't really doing that. You aren't really walking the walk. Let's go figure out what that is. Well, and think about in the last song, right? It's what is it? It's best to, to keep sackcloth and ash in a whitewash. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's that, Come back again. Yes. Hey, y'all living in that whitewashed town, mm -hmm. grab your sackcloth and ash and come on down. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think a line like this, and I'm, I'm right there with you, Nick, mm -hmm. is what makes this album so holistically satisfying yes. to listen to because there's this sense of departure, but that departure is not like a middle finger to his past and all the people that mattered to him. It's like, 
I cannot sustainably stay here anymore. I'm going to take the step that I must. And then he turns around and says, hey, if you want to come along. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is really encouraging because the concern here is if I'm leaving and I haven't at least left the door open for the people that I've seen kind of quote unquote failing, mm-hmm. then what are you actually doing? Are you actually progressing with your own personal spiritual journey if you're not giving other people the opportunity to improve their faith as well? And I feel that way yeah. about, you know really any philosophy, not just faith, but right. like if you're yeah. living something authentically, that means you should want other people. You should in a sense be evangelizing to them, which is funny as an atheist to feel that that's a good com- compulsion. But anyway, so yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that, I think there's also a way to read pretender in a light similar to doubt, like a perhaps a more sympathetic light as well. Yes. Right. Where yes. yes, the pretenders could be the people who like know they're pretending and they, they like want to put on that mask. But then there are the people like, you know, how was, I was <laughs> talking about my students earlier. Right. From, yes. You know, who oh. feel like fakes who feel like frauds. Um, and they don't know yeah. ah. they're like trying to, it's like a fake it till you make it kind of thing. Yes. Right. Which in yes. honestly in a lot of, I mean, so there is a, uh, uh, there's a, uh, was a theologian at Yale named George Lindbeck, who was a considered a, a post liberal theologian. So not an evangelical, <laughs> um, but he had this, theory essentially about um about theology and language that like essentially doctrine is a is a kind of learned language right and that um you know really what theology is about is how the community uh you know is shapes and is shaped by the language of doctrine and so Yeah. When you're like Hmm. a new Christian or whatever, like you're going to feel out of place. Like when you're, it's like with any community, right? When you're, I mean, Mm -hmm. even, uh, you know, the, the Foxes community, the, the Reddit, the me without you fan fandom in a sense, right? We also have our own language. I mean, this podcast is, you know, um, swimming in it, obviously. Right. (laughs) And, and for someone who is, uh, you know, trying to enter into this, right. That it's something that they have to learn, right. You know, and they don't have the benefit of, you know, nearly 20 years of listening to these records as they came out. You see what I'm saying? Like, so for a person who um, mm-hmm. is trying to fit into the community, right, where I, I could definitely see how Aaron probably felt like a pretender at some point. Yeah. Because yeah. he did not grow up in evangelical Christianity. And here he is, like, trying to find his way into this community among people who – and, I mean, evangelicalism, I know many listeners are, you know uh, – are going to feel this, right? It very much is like a culture, a kind of insular culture with insiders and outsiders with a, la- a shared language 
um, with the shared set of values that are that sort of go without saying in a sense. Yes. Right. There's a kind mm. of habitus, yeah. right, to use the anthropological <laughs> term, right, yes. where um, where people don't even they're not even thinking about it. They're just they're It's the air that they breathe. And yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a sense in which the pretender is also a sympathetic person here. Right. Yeah. yeah. So just to sum up kind of your point and my point and, and a third point that doesn't bear much conversation though we've almost got three kind of contenders for the pretenders that is <laughs> those who are faking it until they make it right they, they feel like a pretender so they're self-aware that they feel i'm fake uh, this mm-hmm. isn't real then yeah. there's the as I, I take your interpreting mind the people who are aware that they're pretending as like a they're putting on a mask to feel more a part of this like there's almost a not malicious but they're aware of the fact that they're not quite uh, living in incongruent. There's cognitive dissonance, I guess is the word I'm looking for. And then there's the pretenders yeah. who are still in the cognitive dissonance, but they're not even aware yeah. that there's an, an alternative way of doing this. They just see it as, no, my way is the true way. And yes, then they feel yes, that discomfort. Yes. With okay, the, yeah. My way is the true way. I'm a true Christian. I was just watching a linguist talk about this today. Like when someone says simply, I'm a Christian mm-hmm. and they, and someone says, oh yeah, but what denomination or like what, you know, what, like, are you in the liturgical sects? Are you mm-hmm. anything like that? And they say, no, I'm just a Christian. The implied language there is I am a true Christian. Yep. So those who disagree with me are false Christians. Right. Or and those, I, or I those who, or those who need to qualify yes. Christian any further are somehow not quote true Christians or something like yes. that. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. is a whole interesting power dynamic thing that's oh, coming often from the, 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 preacher that they're following, you know, it's saying mm-hmm. like my way is so, it, you know, get, you get these sects beyond anything within evangelical. Totally. But, uh, yeah. It, so to, yeah, to bring, uh, Christ into this discussion of Christianity Wait, for please, a minute, yes. I, uh, I, I just want to, to, to just offer up the very simple, uh, quote from Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Mm-hmm. And this moment in the song, in both of the choruses, really feels, even though none of those words are directly invoked, it's that kind of an yes. invitation. Whether you're heavy laden with doubt, whether you're heavy laden with your own self-perceived or unperceived falsehood or mm-hmm. whatever, come on yeah. down. Yeah. And then that, that big swell, that opening of the yeah. chord into that minor five, is this sort of soft bed to like mm-hmm. fall down into of this yeah. rest. Oh, I totally feel that. Yes. Yes. Right. And then the lyrics kind of reinforce that. The the, the second half of this chorus, mm-hmm. which we haven't read yet. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that. Oh, but I'm so afraid. I'm set in my ways. But he'll make the rabbits and rocks sing his praise. Oh, but I'm too tired. I won't last long. No, he'll use the weak to overcome the strong. Yeah. Which, oh, but I'm so afraid I'm set in my ways feels very, um, well, it really all three of the pretenders that we were just talking about can kind mm-hmm. of yeah, totally. fit that mold, which is kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can you guys talk to me about this Luke reference with the uh, the stones 
will cry out. Uh, I think the line is, at least from the NIV, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I can give you like the moment that that's happening, yeah. and I don't know that we need to spend a lot no, of no, time no. commenting on it. But but just what the rabbits is an Aaron yes, Weiss original. Yes. That's yes. him throwing yeah. in, uh, and it's what a great sounding line. He'll make the rabbits and rocks. It, it's praise. an incredible line. I love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that moment is is on what liturgically now is remembered as Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday before Easter, okay. um, and this is towards the end. Uh, of of the story of the gospel. So Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem. He is riding on a donkey uh, for prophetic reasons uh, and symbolic reasons related to the war horses of the empire. And he is entering into Jerusalem and people are praising him, shouting this word Hosanna, and they're laying down palm branches on to make like a pathway for him to go across. It's this very vivid, loaded image. Wow, yeah. And there are religious authorities on the scene as they often are in these stories and they're complaining oh don't don't like praise him like because this is all this is all imagery associated with announcing like an incoming mm -hmm. king and so they're saying stop it like what you're doing is blasphemous stop praising this man on a donkey this is not appropriate behavior and Jesus response to this is if they stop praising me the very rocks will begin to do it. It's it's a claim to his authority mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. as the anointed king in this moment. This is like of all the the gentleness and meekness and mildness and come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. This is a moment of uh, of of a, a strong claim to authority on Jesus's part. The creation itself will speak where men do not. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so interesting to then be paired with. That's a very strong statement, right? Yeah. Oh, but I'm too tired. I won't last long. No, he'll use the weak to overcome the strong. So it's almost like a, a flipping, right? Like, mm. yeah, it is holier to be weak. It, 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 it meek shall yeah. inherit the earth. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. I think also yeah. it's important to note that in both sort of a, perhaps a more surface level reading, but I think also a reading that kind of explains what's happening here, like in terms yeah. of the juxtaposition of a person, a pretender or a doubter saying, I'm so afraid I'm set in my ways, is that what the, what the other person who's responding with the biblical references is saying essentially is that, look, if God can make the rocks sing, he can get mm -hmm. you out of your ways, right? Like rocks yes. don't sing, period. Neither do rabbits, right? So you saying that you're set in your ways, you're not going to change. Like, well, God makes the rocks sing. So like, of course, he can change your heart or whatever, you know, however you want to think about it. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and similarly with uh, him using the weak to overcome the strong, right? Oh, I'm so tired. Like, I can't do it. It's like, yeah, but that's... That's exactly who God uses. I mean, in a sense, like both of these things, uh, both of these statements or this um, sort of statement and response, they are very reminiscent, again, of um, the sort of like this kind of tendency in evangelicalism in the 2000s to try to move toward alternative readings or, or um, alternative emphases Right, that that differed or departed in some way from what had 
what was being preached in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. Right? Yeah. So, um, you know, this idea of like, oh, God uses uh, weak people, right? God uses like focusing on, for example, I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard about like the fact that Moses stuttered, right? This is like mm. a thing that like Moses has this People are really stutter. focusing on, yeah. Yeah, and and uh but yet God used him, right, to to um you know speak truth to power or something like that. Um, you know, it, it's it was a big and still is to a certain extent, right? A, a big thing well, to like. And there's something important there. Yeah. Right? Like like yeah. We we see this throughout, like even in pre, you know, Paleolithic there's there's evidence of people with disabilities that were not just left by the community you know they they right old people with disabilities that were still alive so like there's something about the importance of humanity as a whole not just the strong survive you know that that kind of hmm. social darwinism bs that that we see no there, there's something beautiful to that too it, it sounds like it's become kind of a cliche Joel, by the way, you were talking about it, at least in these sermons, but uh, it, it, there's also something beautiful about that to me. Oh, no, of course. Yeah. Of course. Well, yeah. yeah. I'm sure this has deep, deep roots across a variety of traditions. Just a simple Google search of the phrase, we overcome the strong, to name my source, which is random internet searches. <sighs> uh, apparently, Lao Tzu in the Tao Te Ching uh, sa says something almost exactly to this mm -hmm. extent, that the soft overcomes the hard and the weak, the strong. Mm. Now I don't, I, I'm not a Taoist. I don't know that tradition, but it's interesting that, and that very far flung from the conversation we're having, that that idea is present. Um, but there's also a direct quote in, in St. Paul in second Corinthians yes. uh, twelve ten. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak then I am strong. Yeah, it is, I will say it's, um, I mean, we don't have to dwell on this this too much because, uh, you know, we're, we've already been talking for such a long time. Um, yeah. There is, a, there is a slight difference. I mean, what Lao Tse is talking about in the Tao Te Ching is more that uh, essentially that people who um, run their mouth and, and uh, are confident in what, in their knowledge of the Tao actually don't know the Tao at all. Um, right. And it's the people who uh, <laughs> are um, who never speak about it, right? Um, who are able to sort of flow effortlessly with the Tao. The Tao is being the sort of the blueprint of the universe, right? The unfolding of the physical universe in time. That is that's okay. what the Tao is. Um, so basically, everything that happens, every event that takes place, takes place according to this blueprint, according to the Tao. Um, it's a way, it, in a sense, Taoism is like a, a kind of theodicy, right? It's a way of explaining the problem of evil. It's one way to look at yeah. it, right? But so the point is that like that sort of like weakness versus strength is different than what Paul is talking about because Paul is talking about being persecuted, right? Being um, sort of like uh, oppressed in a sense, and that is the sense in in the Western traditions, at least, that weakness overcomes strength. It's the oppressed who will eventually over overcome their oppressors, right? Which I mean, this has very um, Jewish roots, right? Yeah. 
Well, even that phrase, the the meek shall inherit yeah. the earth, that shows up in the Sermon on the Mount is is rooted in the right. Old Testament right. or in mm-hmm. the Hebrew Bible. Um, so Paul is not saying uh, th- those who know don't talk and those who talk don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. The Tao might, might imply as much. We're gonna. Yeah, we will be talking yeah. about Taoism um, when we talk about goodbye. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, it, I just wanted to insert there the, you describing Taoism to, to just keep it in Eastern tradition for half a second. That reminds me of the beginner's mind concept, the child's mind concept of Buddhism yeah. mm. um, as well. Like, because children, and this actually takes me back to that like age of uh, responsibility concept. Like, children just kind of get it. Like, as you are typically coming up, assuming you're not going through horrible trauma as a child or anything, like, Kids being kids, there's a virtue to that, and we get away from it as we grow up, right? As we mm-hmm. as we believe that we are conceiving of things more effectively, we're actually getting further away from the true conception for for a time, anyway. Yeah, right. Well, and one more image to layer on all mm-hmm. this before we move on, I guess, is because he's just invoked the rocks singing his praise. The image of Jesus riding into town on a donkey is an absurd mm-hmm. image. It's it's supposed to look mm-hmm. silly. Um, that here, going into Jerusalem, which on the week of Passover is heavily guarded by Roman guards, like armed men who are trained for war, like on large, impressive-looking <laughs> steeds, it looks feeble. And there's this ridiculous, yeah. feeble image. Yeah, wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. So, and so the weak overcoming the strong is, is definitely like a subtext of how that whole Holy Week drama unfolds. Yeah, interesting. And we don't have, I'm just going to put this here. I don't think there's much to discuss, but we've had at least two other rocks, somewhat personified, images of rocks being somewhat personified yeah. earlier in this album with the rock telling the rocks we're going to make a building and the rocks being, oh, you yeah. know, building a wall. But you, if you'd rather be a window... I'd gladly be your, in my conception, rock frame. Anyway, yeah. this is kind of a almost a conclusion to those rock. Yeah. It, it's a triptych of rock metaphors, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I like um, it. Yeah. Thank you for bringing them yes. back up. I like I, that I, I don't know what else there is to say there other than I feel like those were setups for this line. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but now, the... The time, the only time. The only time. <laughs> in all of Me Without You's output, especially considering the endless hours that you, dear listener, have put up with us talking about this person that none of us have ever met, named Amanda. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here she is yep. uh, in, in, in her real given name, Oh, Amanda, let's go down. Yep. And the moment passes by so quickly mm-hmm. But given the full weight of A to B life and all the times that it seems like she is still such a prominent figure on this album up till this point, there's something so resolving and so relieving about finally having a name given to this person. Right. And it's and of course, the I mean, it's so fitting because, you know, we know Amanda was a doubter. Right. We know that, like, you know, Mm -hmm. and so here, I mean, you you can make you can see such a nice contrast, right, between Mm -hmm. what's going on in this track and and what 
the sentiment was in A to B life, right? Which was, yeah. you know, essentially like, look, you're going to like lead me astray. Um, you know, you're, uh, uh, you know, so it goes attitude yeah. toward all of yeah. this is, you know, destructive or something like that. And maybe it's the devil and all the, you know, it's the devil, I suppose, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And here yeah. it seems there's like a, a, a total 180, right? He essentially is, uh, I think, you know, the way that I read it, the way that I think we've been reading the, the track so far, right, is that he's um, he's saying essentially that, like, no, I, I was wrong. Like, this, let yes, let's go down. Let's go down to the river. Now, I mean, another way to think about this, I suppose, is that, like, Amanda's long gone at this point, right, in the narrative, I, I believe, right, because he's already talked about previously on, or earlier on this album – how she was swept swept out like garbage in the alleyway, right? Yeah. From the church. Which so. we, we read as either her being truly gone or or metaphoric. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I mean the from the dialogue that we get in A to B life, it's it to me seems like, you know, she really was definitely on her way out in some sense. Yeah. So perhaps this is a call to come back. Like, look, I've changed. Like there is room for doubt. There is room for questioning, right? There is room for, um, yeah. the way that you were thinking about the tradition and I, I didn't listen to you. Right. So now come back, yeah. come down to the river. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's significant just in terms of the trajectory and thinking about the dynamics of that relationship that was, so heavily uh, the substance of the last album that where he seems to be going is not from a place of faith as one like hardline category and doubt as a new one, right? It is like faith through doubt into some deeper form mm -hmm. of yes. faith. And that seems to be the yes. direction he's going in. And so what he's calling her into here is not, well, you walked away from what I thought you needed. And well, I guess you don't really need it anyway. So mm -hmm you're fine. Like it's still an invitation into yeah. something. Yes. Um, but it's a new something now that, that he's moved into and it's let's go down. It's not, Hey, I mean, there, he does say, come on down, but then it's come on down. Let's go down. He's including mm -hmm. himself in whatever needs mm -hmm. to happen next. It's not that he's already there and she just needs to come along. Right. You know, to catch up with him. Right. Come on down into the unknown almost, which, yeah. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> We'll get there. Sure. Um, yes. Um, but then the image, because immediately after saying, oh, Amanda, let's go down, he immediately names his mother and his grandmother, yes. presumably. Mama, Nana, let's go down. That takes any of the weight of um, the sort of romantic, like sexual longing of the last album out yeah. of this moment. Yes. That it's not like, oh, man, I sure wish you were still my girlfriend, or I sure wish I could like propose to you again <laughs> no this is a statement people i have held so much emotional mm -hmm. connection yeah. to i i'm calling to you please come down and and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the there's hope here because he's turning back to the people that have been in his past and wishing yeah. for them to come into this mystery 
into this yeah. into this unfolding of doubt and faith commingling into a deeper understanding that you can't just know you have to experience yeah